0: Welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin.
1: Morning, everyone. Oh, good morning.
0: Good morning. How you doing? I have no idea.
1: I'm doing great, Don. Good to be here. All right. Always.
0: Good to see you. This week, we are doing a deep dive into the album Mm -hmm. Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith. First thing I want to say is if you can subscribe, if you've already subscribed, give us a great five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Any kind of interaction with your different platforms is going to help us out. So please take a second and go ahead and hit that button for a follow or subscribe.
1: And if you're putting the stars down, four and a half, don't bother. All right.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's five or nothing.
1: Yeah, five or... Hit the, hit, hit the road, Jack. I'll throw a little Ray Charles in for you. That being said, thanks, Don. You know, the foundation we created, Music for Mark, what we're doing is, you know, we put the foundation together to get music to kids of the world. Music lessons, musical instruments, whatever it takes to get music to the world. You know, Music for Mark is how we put it together. So it's musicformark.com. And we're just going to send music to the world through kids. That's where it all starts. Let them grow into the world of music. You know, you and I both know what music means in our life. So let's keep it going. Musicformark.com. Check it out.
0: Yeah, we're going to hopefully be able to help out some kids and get some instruments in their hands, get them lessons, all sorts of stuff related to music. So, uh, you know, we could use your help and and check out the website. And and if you'd like to help out, that would be awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's talk about Aerosmith, which uh, all time just a great rock band, you know, a straight ahead rock band. Um, the members, Steven Tyler, everybody kind of knows, I think he's kind of, some people used to call him the poor man's Mick Jagger, you know, um, or the American Mick Jagger. I, I didn't really buy that. I think it was kind of cause of the, they both have kind of the lip thing going on. Um, so it was a little bit more of the look, you know, but it, they're so different. Uh, Joe Perry, lead guitar, Brad Whitford on, uh, rhythm guitar, Tom Hamilton on bass, and Joey Kramer on drums. And so this album, Toys in the Attic, was released in 1975. It was Aerosmith's third studio album. Uh, The first album had uh, Mamakin and Dream On both on it, so great songs second album was called get your wings which had uh same old song and dance and train kept a rollin so they had a history of some you know fairly popular songs interesting thing about the first album tom only sold 30,000 copies yeah so it really didn't have a lot of you know didn't get a lot of action in terms of record sales
1: you know, back in the day, and we're talking about record sales, one of the main reasons, and we'll talk about it when we get into Toys in the Attic, how things shifted, but, mm-hmm. you know, they were literally, and, you know, I grew up with this, they were live bands, they got their following by people coming to see them, not so much to hear them, right. they were a touring band, they stayed on tour. That's what they right did. they just toured and toured and toured
0: yeah so they were really a they were real road dogs at the beginning and you know and and uh, you know continued to play live uh for, for a long time uh and we'll talk about again i think that had an impact on the, this is another band with the third album really popped and came together and everything just kind of You know really fit all the pieces all the puzzle pieces kind of came together on this one for them Mm -hmm. um so that year there was you know some action on there was some rock on the on the tracks there was blood on the tracks by bob dylan great album uh physical graffiti by led zeppelin wish you were here pink floyd so Mm -hmm. it was definitely even though it was 1975 you know again a lot of disco dance stuff there that year and and still the rock was strong The album ended up selling 8 million copies and made it to number 11 on the uh, billboard chart in the U S and Rolling Stone included it on its 500 uh, greatest records of all time. When we look at, yeah, so you know, the, the the numbers are there for this record and it's it's really something that, uh, this album I think, uh, I think it was Steven Tyler said, this was the album that they knew they had made it. Like the, he knew in his mind that this was it, Aerosmith was really kind of now a, a real major rock band.
1: Yeah, you know, and it, they were coming into their own, they were getting a little older, you know, they were all like 25, 26. Right. I think at this time Tyler was 27. So kind of like, you know, they weren't kids anymore. They weren't just doing this for the sake of doing this anymore. They actually came together as a rock band during this album. But there's a lot of stuff we'll touch on that as we go along.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, so where does this album fall for you in terms of like all-time albums? Where would you put this one?
1: <laughs> Personally, yeah. Th- thanks for asking. I, uh, I-, I love every single thing about this album. The song Toys in the Attic, the album Toys in the Attic is you know when you the reason I said wow when they said that this album made the top 500 this has made the Tommy Hilkin top 10 there um, you go for real yeah it's uh one of my favorites to play and every time we do this I get to listen to it more and more and more yeah it's in my top 10 everything about this album just yeah you know, I, I guess what could I say high school years maybe I was mm-hmm. a sophomore in high mm-hmm. school just where it connected I love everything right. about it and what, what about you
0: Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be top 10 for me, but it would definitely be in like the top 30 or so I would say, Okay. um, you know, top 10 for me is, is so hard to do because I, there's so much stuff I like, you know? So I I mean, I would put some older, I would also put some newer albums in top 10, but you know, I mean, that's so personal. So, um, yeah. yeah.
1: It's funny you say that the impact it has on me has a lot to do with the time of your life. When right. you hear it, you know, you said, when did you first hear it? So right. I was in high school rocking, you know what I mean? Perfect time. I, I guess I was 16,
0: which is right. So see, awesome. that's the difference in our ages. I was, I was 12 at the time. Oh, so, yeah, there you, go. you know, it, it's, it, it. and that's probably why it has a little bit less impact for me personally. Yeah. Um, But it's still, you know, Aerosmith is a great rock band and, and just a, this is an amazing album from beginning to end. And, and you know, again, it's another album where we've got, you know four or five major songs out of their catalog are all on this album so we'll you know we'll dive into the details in a second when they were out there you know like i said before they only sold thirty thousand copies on their first album Mm -hmm. but the band had this real kind of we'll show you attitude and they were getting out there and they're like you were saying they're on the road and they were upstaging the headliners constantly so they upstaged kiss mott the hoople and black sabbath all during this period while you know while they're out there just rocking their butts off
1: Mm -hmm.
0: when the first two albums that they recorded they had been uh you know playing for years in the clubs and stuff so they had a lot of material built up from that uh and we see that a lot with the first album so the bands are out on the road or playing in clubs and they build up these songs and they work on them them they work on them and they work on them and they perfect them. And so with Toys in the Attic, this is the first album where they started from scratch. They had to actually become learn to become recording artists and learn to write songs on a deadline. So, okay, we're gonna go into the studio, now we've got to have some songs. And so that's really where it kind of changed them as a band in terms of their focus. And now they really got focused on the songwriting and I think that really kind of shows through.
1: Yeah, they came together as a band and. Tom Hamilton says it. Joe Perry says it at this album was like a make or break for them because I'm going to share this with you. I always felt that they were like the most insecure band on the planet. Yeah, They were so super talented, yet they always had their foot on their own throat. Tom Hamilton didn't think he was good enough. And Joe Perry never thought he was good enough as a guitarist.
0: Ever. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. But again, he's not like, you know, well, he's a great guitar player. He's you know, he's kind of a rhythmic lead guitar player, you know, again, he's not a a Clapton, a Van Halen, or, uh, you know, even like a Santana. Um, you know, it's it, yep. it, it, it's a much more, you know, his leads are great, but they're not the kind of thing that you go, oh my God, wow, that was crazy, you know, but uh, they usually fit really well with the songs and that's super important.
1: Yeah, they're, they're more like a riff band. Again, yeah. they, have oh, that yeah. riff, they have that riff that you never forget.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. The other thing that helped was the producer, Jack Douglas. So this guy, they say basically became the sixth member of Aerosmith and he really helped them out a lot when they were putting this stuff together in the studio, when they had all these, they didn't have the songs like they did on the first two albums. So it helped to have this kind of, you know, outside eye coming in and helping them put this stuff together in a way that it was going to make a difference and, and be a really, really great album.
1: You know, the challenging part for them was they knew how to go out and play. They didn't know how to stay in the studio. They, they really, this is the first time they committed time to a studio. They said, we're going to come off the road. This was the first album where they said, we're going to come off the road and we're going to go in the studio and we're going to actually produce an album. Right. You know, that's, a, that's a big step for any band where they committed, because what's the easiest thing for any band to do is stay on the road and keep playing music.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, they did some interesting things on this when they they did uh, actually an amp experiment. So what they did was set up, (laughs) they set up 13 amps and mic them all to see if it would sound better than one amp. And it just didn't, it's just too much noise, you know? And when you're in the recording process, uh, a lot of people don't understand it's often not loud, you know, it's it's getting the mics right on the on the amps and getting the right sound and it's not the like the kind of stuff you you get live where they come out there and it just like you feel the sound it's not generally it's not like that in the studio for most bands, because yeah. it overwhelms everything and it just sounds like mud you end up getting getting no, uh, no real clarity in any of the songs.
1: Yeah, as as we go, we we understand that if you're a follower of Aerosmith, they have a disease of more. They've always felt that. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. With a lot of things, right? Yeah, they've always felt that more was better. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, with a lot of things. And we'll get into that a little bit, too, because it's an interesting concept of where their music was going and why
0: yeah so um you know and so like i said before stephen tyler said that he said you know and it, i think stephen tyler though has a lot of misrememberings of the past because there's a, a, quite a few things that are disputed that he's said even amongst the band so <laughs> but he's everyone <laughs> yeah right so, but uh but at this point he had said hey we made it this is he finished the record and he goes wow this is the one we're going to be remember remembered for long after we're gone sure. The other thing was that at the as they were recording this, there was a lot of friction between Joe Perry's wife and the rest of the band. <laughs> so that friction started uh, building up, building up, building up and led to their breakup in the early 80s. Mm. So this album, in a way, it's kind of their initial peak because they did have a lot of success later on in the 80s when they reunited a little bit poppier kind of stuff. but. But it also was, so it was not only the beginning for them, the beginning of their real rock careers, but it was also kind of the beginning of the end for them, which is interesting.
1: Well, you know, let's face it, the toxic twins, right? Joe Joe Barry and Steven Tyler. You know, when you think about it, the word that comes to mind is they're probably the first guys that had a real bromance, you know, back in the day, a love-hate relationship. And, And, you know,
0: yeah, uh, and no, and, that, and it says the, the thing you see a lot with these bands is, well, look at Jagger Richards. Uh, you know, Keith Richards talks shit about Mick Jagger still to this day. Like, <laughs> says horrible things about him. It, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend hate each other, allegedly. Oh. And, you know, so a lot of these kind of combinations of super creative people. Super uh, they end up just being at odds with each other. And sometimes that kind of drives the music. That friction is, is kind of helpful to it. I mean, it's not something you want to shoot for because it sucks personally when you're, your best bud who, you know, who's in your band and on the road with you and you're living with them every day and you guys are, you know, at each other's throats. But, uh, sometimes it really is the the result is really great, great music.
1: You know, major personalities. Think about having to deal with Steven Tyler your whole life. It's oh no. Major, yeah. Dude, huge. Beyond huge his personality.
0: Right. right. You know? <laughs> the, the only guy who I think would be more annoying to be on the road with would be David Lee Roth. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> or Johnny Lydon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean yeah. he's just <laughs> he's just kind of a dick, but yeah. But uh, but David Lee Roth is like he never yeah. stops. He's always, blah, blah. you know, <laughs> it's always this, he's always this like vaudeville show. You know?
1: baby. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And I love the guy to death. I think he's awesome. I love Van Halen. I love Aerosmith. I love, you know, but the the music is just awful. Yeah. So, um, all right. So well, let's go ahead.
1: I was going to say, Steven Tyler's favorite two words are Steven Tyler.
0: that's good that's good
1: (laughs) oh come on every interview you never hear the words Aerosmith
0: you hear me
1: (laughs) me me I I I
0: (laughs) yeah too funny
1: oh yeah you know the one thing I wanted to say is a lot of this what I get this great joy out of is you know we forget about the greatness of the album covers you know we really do and this album cover Joe Perry and Steven Tyler got together uh for three days, I, I got to get the name. It was, it was great. Ingrid Hankey. Huh. Right? And she was actually a children's books illustrator. And they fell in love with the drawings she would. And then they took them and they twisted them into the Toys in the Attic album cover. So
0: oh, that's so cool. The,
1: the idea behind these album covers was everybody had an iconic album cover. This right. being one of them. This is in the, believe it or not, this is in the Album Cover Hall of Fame.
0: I didn't even know one existed.
1: (laughs) Of course they did. Just like someday we'll be in the podcast Hall of Fame, Don Seckler.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am a podcaster now.
1: (laughs) Damn it.
0: (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) That's funny. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's dive in. This one, we're going to start off just do them right here. We'll do them in order. Start off with little toys in the attic. So, Toys in the Attic, right out of the gate, rocker, right? You love it. It's just like right in your face. So, when you saw them live, did they uh, open with this on Toys in the Attic tour? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I don't remember them opening up with it. But, uh, you know, I, I often tell you to all the shows I've gone to, you know, uh, when uh, the greatest opening they ever did I saw it was Back in the Saddle which was pitch black. Oh,
0: cool. Nice. Yeah.
1: But Toys in the Attic, I I always share my favorite Aerosmith moment. And God sent it to me was they opened up with Mama Kin and rolled right into Toys in the Attic. Nice. I looked at my friend and said, I can go home now. (laughs) (laughs) Toys in the Attic, like I said earlier, man, it's just everything about it. When I hear that riff, I'm happy. Yeah. puts me in a good spot where I wanna be. So thank you, Aerosmith.
0: So good. So in so. the so in this song, Joe Perry's actually playing a 1955 Les Paul Jr that he got from Johnny Thunders who at the time was in the New York Dolls. Mm. And so, you know, again, we we always talk a little bit about the instruments, we're not getting too much into the the, the real minutia of, of the guitars and stuff, but it's interesting how on some of these these great albums, you know, often they're playing a different guitar than they're normally used to and I think that changes things up a little bit and it helps it helps the creative process because again, anything that is Friction or conflict or difference, I think, you know, drives that process and makes it better.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, that's the thing about Joe Perry. Like I said, he was willing to try anything to make it to the next level. He kept saying to himself, I need to improve. I need to improve. Right. Every album. Every yeah, <laughs> album. Yeah. Probably still saying it today.
0: Sure. Well, and all the greats do, right? It's If you're not trying to get better, what? why are you bothering, you know? Yeah. Um, so J- when this started off, Joe had the riff and he's kind of jamming in the studio and it started off by Steven just kind of jumping in and, and doing that, uh, that part where he, he just goes, toys, 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 toys in the attic. That kind of just happened in the studio and then they took it from there and, and it became what the song the song that it is today. So it's actually a song too about a guy going crazy. So you you have the lines, they say, leaving the things that are real behind, leaving the things that you love from mind. So, you know, while it's a rock and roll song, it's really about a guy kind of losing it and and kind of losing that touch with reality.
1: Yeah. You know, you don't think of it that way, but the attic, you know what i mean toys right. in the attic yep. it's really yeah it's a mindset thing where literally the whole if you look at the album cover too you could, that's what i'm saying it's amazing it takes you right there to somebody losing their mind that these toys in the attic are all demented
0: yeah exactly yeah. and so again this is a, you know a legendary song on a on a legendary album just kicking it off you know it's it's just a perfect song in my in my eyes mine too so up next, we have Uncle Salty. Which is a little bit more laid back. right you love that or what
1: <laughs> you don't have to ask <laughs> Dude, I, you, I could just sit here you could play it and talk over every song i'm okay i uh the thing about it is you know when you when you talk about this song i often talk to people about why i love rock and roll and i love the simplistic most simple rock and roll taking it all the way back to chuck berry right. where you know just simple chords think listen to that intro Dude, that's as simple as you can get you know, to yeah the
0: chords. and it's a bit of a shuffle which is something that aerosmith kind of does from time to time oh. you know yeah. um which is nice it's a little switch up from the the heavy straight ahead toys 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 in the attic you know it's a little bit a little bit of that groove little little yeah. funk in there a little bit of, a little bit of that shuffle um so on this one uh tom hamilton the bass player actually wrote this the foundation of the song he plays guitar on it, and it's one of his two writing credits on the album. So, you know, he got to dip in a little bit more than, you know, he has in the other albums.
1: Yep. This is uh, one of the albums where he actually, he came into his own, uh, not only musically, but uh, professionally and confidence-wise.
0: This yeah. Is where
1: Tom Hamilton said, hey, I'm part of this band.
0: Right. And you can hear that when you, when you listen to that, you know, the song, it, you don't even notice it's not... It's not like you go, oh, that's not a Joe Perry song. You know, it, it, it still kind of fits in with Aerosmith. He does a great job with it. The thing about this song that a lot of people don't realize, because it's kind of a nice, happy kind of beat, but it's about an orphanage and a bordello. So <laughs> there's sexual assault in it if you look at the lyrics. So it's kind of dark, but it's got this upbeat melody, which again is a little bit of that contrast, that fighting stuff that we talk about. So there's another level to it if you really dig into it.
1: Yeah, you know, and you'd love to be a fly on a wall when they start piecing this stuff together, you know. That's the whole thing. What mood were they in? What were they thinking about? What did they see? So, you know, if it's about an orphanage and a bordello.
0: (laughs) And what's the reaction? What's the reaction from the band when Steven Tyler goes, here's the lyrics, and they're like, Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, although this is 1975, it was recorded in New York yeah. and in 75, New York was, was, you know, mayhem. So, you know, crime was through the roof. You had to worry about getting mugged, just walking down the street. They, in fact, there was a story that uh, they said they used to finish recording at like four in the morning and they would walk down the center of the street because they didn't want to get too close to the alleys and because they were afraid of getting mugged. <laughs> So
1: I, I lived that part of New York City. I was yeah,
0: I lived that that's
1: what <laughs> like I say, those days 42nd Street was 42nd Street.
0: Right, right. That was before things got a little cleaned up and everything.
1: Yeah, before before 42nd Street became Disney.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know both sides of it, my
0: friend. <laughs> both sides, right? Oh yeah. So uh the next song up is Adam's Apple. Uh, Again, this is another one that I think people are probably less familiar with, but still a great song. Interesting thing about this, that line, love at first bite, that's what Tyler wanted to name the record. Mm -hmm. And Joe Perry wanted to name this record Rocks, which actually became... The name next of the, album. it was the next album was Rocks. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, the, the, again, this song, I like this song a lot, a little bit more mid-tempo. Um, Steven Tyler got an arrangement credit on it. I don't know how they qualify that or who decides that. He did. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably right, right? So he had arrangement credits on this song and also You See Me Crying, which is the last song on the album. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, the sexual, you know, the sexual innuendo of Tyler comes into almost every song. Oh, yeah. A, his whole, you know, so as a kid, I could just always remember she ate it was like such a great line to hear in a song. Well,
0: you know, and <laughs> and this is Aerosmith's version of Adam and Eve. Yeah. So it's basically a sexy Bible story.
1: <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> a sexy Bible story. There
0: Crazy, right?
1: I'm sure that's how God had it planned. Yeah. read this book and write a song about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but again, another great, another good song, you know, not oh. legendary type song, but another, you know, very consistent kind of mid tempo song. But the next song is kind of the, for me, it's the all time great Aerosmith song. And everybody knows this drum beat, right? And this riff. I mean does it get any better than this So you know everybody knows walk this way and and uh, this is a song that was huge for them back in the day and then also ended up bringing the band back to life in 1984 when Run DMC uh, did the version with with Aerosmith. It was actually a remake, a collaboration between the two of them. What I really like about this, and you know, again, I, you know, I like the funk. I keep saying that. Well, Joe Perry was actually very into funk at the time, so he was listening to Sly and the Family Stone, uh, and also this band called the Meters from I think they were from New Orleans. And so he got inspired by listening to this meter song called, uh, Pocky away and thought maybe it's time to kind of add something of our own in this groove, you know, so they want, he was thinking, okay, I'm going to try and get something a little funky. So he was writing the riff and the chords and, uh, when they were in Hawaii before a show and some of the other guys heard it, they kind of found their parts and then it kind of grew from there. Joe had played in R&B bands in the past. So that was kind of that groove and that funk and that kind of, you know, that that real rhythm was kind of built, baked into his into his uh, being, you know, and that was part of his uh, his magic as a guitar player.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, you know, we talk we're going to talk about the guitar players and we'll talk a little bit later on about Brad Whitford and him playing together. You know, there's magic there.
0: Yeah, definitely, and they're another duo that you know where they just sing so well together, uh, and that makes all the world a difference when the guitar players are really kind of in sync and kind of kind of play off each other like that.
1: I've never seen two guys riff together better than Brad Whitford and Joe Perry. And I know we might be taking it off on a thing, but yeah, you know, Brad Whitford could easily be the lead guitarist of Aerosmith.
0: Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I think he could. Yeah, and you know because Aerosmith, it's it's a blues based band. So the lead parts are not, they're not super complicated. You know, the blues leads are generally the the easiest to play. Although, you know, you can definitely tell the skill between a really good player and then somebody who's an average player. The interesting thing about this song is that Steven Tyler claimed that he came up with the drum beat at, at that sound check in Hawaii. So he said he jumped behind the kit before Joey Kramer came on stage. Joey Kramer in 2019 said, Stephen is full of shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a few times. Yeah, uh, so
0: so it was an ongoing thing that, like, Joey Kramer, like, you know, Stephen Tyler's been saying this for decades – and uh, Joey Kramer is like it's another another point of friction between these guys. Uh, he just says you know Stevens claiming and it, it wasn't real, and and you know when when they ask other people around the band, they're very kind of politically correct. They don't want to give an answer, you know. So they say, well, like Brad Whitford said that um, you know the jury's still out. He said, but he said you have to take into consideration that that Steve would probably take credit for everything that's on an Aerosmith record. Everything. Everything. <laughs> so there's, you know, uh, there's still that debate. Again, Steven Tyler probably overreaching. Even if he did come up with it, it's kind of a douchey thing to say that the most famous drum beat by the band is not by the drummer, you know?
1: It's about Steven.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Dude, you love him or you hate him. <laughs> for real.
0: Another interesting thing about this song, you know, while they were recording, they, they took a break and they went uh, somewhere in the city in Times Square or something to go see Young Frankenstein, which was in the theaters at the time. And when they came back, somebody was doing an impersonation of uh, Marty Feldman in that movie as Igor saying, walk this way. And then, you know, walk the guy walks that funny way where he's like limping down the thing somebody said to Steven, that'll be a great title for the song. And he heard that, grabbed the pad, pen, ran off and came back in a couple hours later with the lyrics.
1: Wow. Wow. No, just planting the seed, right. And watching it grow, you know, just yeah. somebody comes up to you and says, walk this way. boom.
0: Right. And that's so ridiculous. it's those happy accidents, right? Sometimes that's, you get that one trigger and that's bam, that makes all the difference in the world. Oh yeah. So the next song on here. Oh. Big Ten
1: Inch.
0: You can hear that piano. Hear that piano in there. So this song uh, is a cover song. It's actually uh, originally by a guy named Bull Moose Jackson from the and recorded in the 1950s. So uh, a friend of Stevens heard it on Dr. Demento. Oh, <laughs> remember Dr. Yeah. Demento So I certainly doc- do. yeah so Dr. Demento was kind of the the first weird owl. He did a lot of parody songs and and funny songs. so uh, he this, this friend of Stevens heard it on that radio show, which was like a weekly thing on on most uh, a lot of rock stations. And uh he brought it to Steven and they said le- they listened to it, and said all right, let's let's give it a shot. And they um they recorded it.
1: In an all-time classic, you know, you know, a boogie woogie.
0: Right. Yeah, the There there is a myth though that goes along with this song. The line is not suck my big ten inch. It, Stephen Toller swears to this day that it's, it's except for my big ten inch, short for ex- ex- except, Except, for my except, big except. Ten. what is it? <laughs>
1: doesn't matter what he says
0: right so you know here's you know here's tyler claiming credit for everything right but then saying that everybody's getting this wrong of what he's singing so you know it's up to you i i I always say listen people are going to interpret the songs they want to interpret them and everybody a lot of times people, people think they mean different things um but tyler swears that he was not uh for for the one time that Stephen Tyler was not overtly sexual, <laughs> right? One time. <laughs> the one time. And,
1: and throughout the years, Tyler would always talk about the band size-wise. And all, all kidding aside, without mentioning names, he would always say.
0: Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. It was like that was his big thing when people would ask him a question about that. He would say, well, it's not what you think. But even though this one, this one, this one, this one, right, would lead, lead into the big 10-inch. And naturally he would just sit there with a smile on his face.
0: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> all about him. He's a bit of a shit starter, I think.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you know, for some reason though, you think about it. If you're the leader of the band, so what or whatever may somewhat, uh, you know, pushing buttons isn't the worst thing in the world. You are getting people fired up, getting them motivated. Right. Somebody's right. gotta do it, right?
0: And that's, you know, I think, and that's, I think that's a big part of Steven's motivation is that he knows that if you get the ink, you know, you, you say something outrageous, people are going to print it or put it online these days or, you know, whatever the thing is. But, uh, he, he's, it's kind of like that. Nope. Uh, all publicity is good publicity, right? No such thing as bad publicity. Uh, so they lean into it a lot and that's great, you know, but that's, that's who they are too, as a band. So they're staying true to who Aerosmith is.
1: Always. They've they've always been on course and that's the good thing about them, right? Even their music, you know, it's really hasn't changed much over the years. It's still Aerosmith. You play, you hear an Aerosmith song, you know, it's an Aerosmith
0: song. Sure. And here's Sweet Emotion. So to me, this song, I love that that bass riff at the beginning. And it's something that Tom Hamilton came up with like all the way back in high school. But I love it that it's like, to me, it's like kind of like a puddle of mercury, like kind of sliding around, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it stays Mm boop-a-doop-a-doop. And it's so, it it just brings you right into it. And then bam, they come in with that sweet and so good. Uh, um it, your thoughts on the song
1: well just everything about it you know I, I'm I'm a live guy so hearing these songs when you when that song comes out and they start with that and then they just rock right into the song it's the perfect lead-in and you don't hear a lot of bass lead-ins that you know it's like it's right. like a lead it's a lead guitar being played on the bass but just you know one of the greatest lives live songs you'll ever hear great
0: riff yeah and you hear it it cranked up in an arena at full volume is is just amazing um so interesting fact about this so there's also that kind of maraca sound that you hear that that's actually steven tyler with a sugar packet so they didn't have a maraca and he saw a sugar packet laying on the console and he's like just you know right up in front of the microphone just shaking it <sharp inhale> crazy right that that's yeah. an instrument <laughs> yeah. oh, you, and uh the lyrics for this song kind of go back to what we were talking about at the beginning about the um you know the, the album kind of being the beginning of the end because of the stress with uh with joe perry's girlfriend who later became his wife well, Stephen wrote these lyrics about her. So it's like I mean, it's not even it's not even a secret or hidden. It's right in your face like screw you. There you go. And the reason that he did it was that he thought that she was kind of pulling Joe away from the band. And later on, you know, now as he looks back, he admits that he was angry and jealous about it. And so that explains, you know, you talk about things that nobody cares. You're wearing out things that nobody wears calling my name. But I got to make clear, (laughs) I can't tell you, honey, where I'll be in a year. So it's basically like you're not part of this, you know, back the fuck off and let us be kind of, you know, that's kind of the attitude I get from that.
1: You will not be our Yoko.
0: No. And again, it's, it's another, you know, it's another cause of friction. Like you said, yeah, it's like a Yoko thing where, you know, she sits on an amp, George gets pissed off or Paul gets pissed off. I forget who it was. Mm -hmm. And and it just, it, it stews. And the, the poor guy, you know, Joe Perry, who's he going to pick? You
1: You know, you have have to understand (laughs) who's he going to pick is right. but you got, believe me, it's not an easy decision because no matter what you think you are married when you're a band, you better be married. You better be right. connected. And what do we say about marriage? You're connected emotionally, right? Yeah. Every day, you, you wake up every day wondering what the band's doing, just like you wake up every day wondering what your girlfriend's doing. Right. And that's, the, that's the psyche of being a great band.
0: Well, and especially like these guys, they were a hardcore road band at this point. They were out there probably on a bus, you know, doing shows and, and living with each other all day, every day. Yeah. And so the band—it was even they were even closer to the band than they were to their girlfriends and wives, because they, you know, most a lot of the time they probably weren't there.
1: Yeah, and and during this time too, they really, you know, Joe Perry had actually said he, his hope was that they would get so much success that they could actually, you know, they were using a lot of drugs at the time. You know, their their his ambition, right? <laughs> but his ambition was to get more. Like I said earlier, right? You know, they were a challenged band when it came to being toxic
0: well and that's what led to their downfall the drugs just got out of control i mean some of their shows and i don't know if you saw them in the in the late 70s but i've heard horror stories about how bad the shows were because they were so screwed up
1: Dude, terrible i uh at i was at a show like 78 just came out with rocks somewhere in that ballpark and uh yeah all tyler did the whole show was spit on stage right it was just like i'm like what the hell's going on they were a disaster yeah everything about them
0: yeah so i didn't see them and i didn't get to see them until they came back in the 80s and they were then all cleaned up and it was actually pretty good you know they had their shit together and they were playing well they were tight but it's awful and i've seen bands like that you know where the people are just so screwed up that they really just can't even perform and it's so sad because it's such a waste
1: Sex and drugs and rock and roll, my friend. It wasn't just the saying. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> so yeah. true.
1: Oh yeah. For real.
0: All right. So let's take a listen to No More No More, the next song on the album. And so while this has that picking part, it's still got that Aerosmith riff. Da-na-na-na-na na 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 nah, nah. right <laughs> uh, everything about it great song great song. So, yeah, so it, it, a totally different opening for them with that little picking piece, but then back right back to that Aerosmith riff. Interesting song about it, it's it's a road song, so it's about ho- being in hotels, being on the road and and the women involved and you know the groupies and all that kind of stuff. Um, interesting thing about it. So at the beginning part of the song, Joe Perry is playing in an open tuning. And again, that kind of changes the sound and, and how the guitar sounds a little bit. Um, but then when it gets down to the end, there's a, a, a jam section at the end. And he actually goes back to a traditional tuning for the solo at the end. So he's actually usually going to be switching guitars. If you see him play this live, cause they did. That's what they did in the studio. They played it and he played the first part on the open tuning and then jumps in grabs the other guitar. And with, you know, with another guitarist in the band, you could stop playing for a few seconds and grab your other guitar. It doesn't upset the song.
1: You know, and what I love about this album, what I love about this song is the reason we're covering these albums is. You start out, they tremendous hits, radio hits, you know, the pop hits, the ones that make it big. But the rest of the album, as we're covering now, this song is killer. And you know what? It's not something you hear every day. This whole Again, album, yeah. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's why it's so cool to kind of dive back into these, because a lot of these songs you forget, mm. you know, because you never hear them really, unless you, you know, unless you specifically are listening to the album.
1: So good. This song's just tremendous.
0: Yeah, uh, so the next one up is "Round and Round."
1: <laughs> a
0: little bit different sound. A
1: little bit, a little darker.
0: So yeah, like you said, this one's a lot darker and this one is actually written by uh, Tyler and Brad Whitford and Whitford actually plays lead guitar on this one. So, you know, they, it wasn't like they were so locked into those roles where it's only Joe Perry playing the leads. Right. Um, But when you mix it up like this, you, you get a little bit different sound and sometimes that can be good. I like this song. Uh, You know, it's not really metal. It's a little heavier, I think a little bit. Dark, but uh you know, it's definitely a good song.
1: Well, if you listen, you could hear, you know, obviously they had influence of what was going on around them. You know, it's a little bit of a little taste of Zeppelin, a little taste of Sabbath. Yes. I'm not saying that heavy, but a taste like in their mind, they might have been saying, Hey, these are the guys that are making it right now and killing it right now. We want to be one. You know, I was Tyler Stream to be one of them, you know, be a rock star.
0: Well, yeah, and you know, like I said before, they were trying to they wanted, especially when they were live. They wanted to blow those guys off the stage when they were opening for them. So they loved them as you know. They love their music. They said that, but they still wanted to kick their butts on stage, you know. So I think a I, bit I of that, that probably plays into this song.
1: Oh, I love that everything about it. Now, they were they were highly competitive amongst themselves and amongst other bands, which is fine, you know. If, if oh, yeah. that's what's going to drive this great music,
0: do it. It's the motivation, you know, and if you have that motivation it, it really helps.
1: You know, I I recently watched a, an interview with Clapton and this might have a lot to do with remember I was saying that they 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 grew in confidence on this album, but you know, a lot of people are, you know, they're uh, they're egomaniacs with an inferiority complex.
0: <laughs> that's good.
1: Right? Yeah, well that's what Clapton said about himself. He loved it and hated it at the same time. Yeah. And I got a feeling these guys were the same kind of way that they were egomaniacs with an inferiority complex never felt they could live up to being this rock star
0: status yeah that yeah they achieved oh yeah yeah totally did it yeah so the last song in the album uh, is You See Me Crying and this one is a little bit different than the rest of the record a little bit more of a ballad they actually had a full string orchestra and you can hear that here it's just gorgeous right uh, So I think that, you know, this is kind of a real precursor to the 80s, Aerosmith, right?
1: You, you just, uh, hey, you stepped <laughs> Did I take line? the words?
0: Did I take the words out of your mouth?
1: <laughs> as, as I'm listening to it, I'm saying, wow, interesting, right? We're not thinking about that in 1975, but this and is where they evolved to. This, Yeah. yeah. And,
0: and that wasn't them in 75, in really, right? Aerosmith became that ballad band in the 80s with, with all those uh, MTV songs. Yeah, but well, this was a bit different at the time.
1: Hair bands and ballads.
0: Yeah. That's
1: why I erased the 80s out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Gone. Well, actually, a few See things ya. erased the 80s out of my life. <laughs> some by choice, some by not.
0: <laughs> so the interesting thing about this song is that uh, it, it's Steven, Do- Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv, who's mm-hmm. Liv Tyler, the actress. It's yep. her favorite Aerosmith song, um, but they never were playing it live because it's super hard for Steven to sing it. Yeah. Uh, so they did play it live once, but it was because Liv asked Steven to play it for her. Oh,
1: that's nice.
0: So Come that's on, sweet. Man. Yeah. So, you know, that's good. So in all this, he was, you know, I guess, I mean, I don't know how he was as a dad when she was growing up, but you know, they still have a really good relationship. So that seems really good.
1: I think once he cleaned up, he caught up.
0: Yeah. Okay, you know? that yeah. makes sense.
1: Oh, yeah, to most yeah. of us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, interest, another cool story about this song. So uh, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry were at a DJ's apartment in 1984, and the DJ put this song on. And Steven Tyler goes to Joe Perry, wow, this is a great song. We should cover that. And Perry looks at Steven and says, what the fuck are you talking about? That's us. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> and Tyler goes, where was I? And Joe's like, you were in the booth singing. <laughs> wow. That, that's got to tell you something, right? Yeah. So, again, I think that kind of comes back to, yeah, this was when these guys are really starting to get in heavy into the uh probably mostly drugs you know they're always i think drinkers but i think this is when their their addiction issues really started to grab hold of them the both the two of those guys
1: oh yeah you know how to cut an album in a blackout that's
0: yeah right (laughs) so that's
1: a great song
0: it is a good song and you know what this is this is again a great great album i just love it to death any last words about toys in the attic
1: well, you, you know it's one of my favorites. It means the world to me. I mean that. I can put this on any day and change my state of mind. So That's if I awesome. ever had, to, yeah, if I ever had the chance to thank them, what this means to me, this album always has. But I always say to our listeners, the reason we're doing this is, get the album, get the yeah. album, play it. You'll right. understand. You'll understand why these albums are falling into place. So dive I'm in, in and.
0: Yeah, and dive in and learn more than just, uh, you know, Sweet Emotion and, and uh, um, you know, the the other popular songs on the album. There's so I, much more to it.
1: Can I, can I tell you something? The glory of what we, you got to realize, and in our day of playing albums, right? It was, you know, the reason we listened to a whole album side was you didn't want to get up and change the album no matter what. So we got to hear it all because it was an album. Right
0: right like exactly it
1: plays through right yeah you know, unless you one day you're up playing dj but you know, i used to stack my albums let them play and just yeah. play an album so i Flip them over and play the other sides.
0: And you didn't you didn't go over to the turntable and skip a bad song. You just oh. said, oh, it's not worth the effort. So you listened to it, right? You,
1: you, you listened, <laughs> you listened to the album. And that was the greatest part about it. No matter, no matter where you were hanging out, whatever it was, you listened to the whole album. Now everybody's caught up and you can listen to a song at a time. I and mean, I get it, nothing wrong with that. But man, when you can take a dive like we're talking inside the album and really get to hear the whole album, because you gotta remember. Putting out an album was a challenging thing. You know, what the pressure these record companies were putting on these guys of what they had to do. Get in the studio. We need you to get an album out, right? Yeah. Then when you're done with the album, we need you to go on tour, you know, and, and to sell more
0: album, albums, To push the album. The yeah. Money,
1: The money, believe it or not, was, you know, out there touring, pushing the albums. It was a crazy lifestyle, man.
0: And that's the thing that's so different today is now albums are not driving the finances for bands. It's it's road time. So, you know, bands still release, you know, bands that are out there that are active are still releasing music on a regular basis, but they're much more profitable when they when they tour now than from the records so that the industry has definitely changed a lot. So, um, you know, understanding how important albums were back in the 60s, 70s and, and 80s um, you know, that that's that this helps you understand that a little bit more, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah it just makes me smile. I just always cool. remember everybody going out to support the album. Every band had to go out and support their album. Yeah. Man, oh, man. If that's a lot of work, you don't hear that anymore. Go out and support your album. No. <laughs> I'm an influencer.
0: <laughs> I'm an influencer. I'm a podcaster. Damn it! <laughs> damn it! Treat Look me as me. such.
1: Look at me. <laughs> pal Green.
0: There you go. Hey, there's one for Sharon. There you go. Shout out. Shout out. So that's it for Toys in the Attic. Aerosmith. Like we said, check out the album. If you if you've never listened to that album straight through, do yourself a favor and, and give it a listen um next up tommy we got an all-time great album this this next album for me is definitely top 10 all-time and Uh, it's abbey road by the beatles
1: oh there we go look at you i'm ready
0: to (laughs) tune in next week and we're gonna do abbey road by the beatles and like Uh, we said don't forget subscribe follow like review do the stuff click the buttons (laughs) help us out do something do something all right right, thanks everybody have a great week and we'll see you next week
1: see you bye